Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor of Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. Wow, that was some sweet worship this morning. Man, alive. You guys sounded so good. So good. Well, good morning, and I want to invite you to make your way over to the final or the, the final chapter, the first chapter of the book of Philippians, roughly 90% of the way into the Bible, if you're looking for it, you'll find it about 90% of the way in. Today we are beginning our verse-by-verse study of the book. It's actually a letter that was written to the people in Philippi there. The letter was penned around A.D. 61, just 30 years after Jesus ascended back into heaven after His death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. And 10 years after the Apostle Paul had led the people, many of them, to Christ. The first converts there in Philippi. The first converts in Europe, if you stop and think about it. Paul is the author, and he too understood what it was like to be quarantined. (laughs) He's sitting in prison right now in Rome under house arrest. He's chained to a guard. He's not free to leave. I think he had it a little worse than we did because he was under the threat of death. Caesar hadn't decided what to do with him yet. He could let him go. He could give him a, a prison sentence for years. Or he could just execute him and be done with it. Isn't it nice that the author here understood a little bit about what we're going through today and yet he went through it with contentment and joy as we're going to read. This book is known for joy. The book of joy. What was his secret? Uh, More on that in a few moments. His readers largely were Roman Gentiles. They're from the city of Philippi, as I said, and the locations that he evangelized on his second missionary journey. His first journey was a, was a rather short one, but when he went out again, he decided the Lord, that he was going to go for it. The Holy Spirit led him on his second journey, and eventually he was called to Philippi. Specifically, he was buffered. He was stopped from going north where he wanted to go. The Holy Spirit said, no, you're going to go this way. And he made his way over to this city. Apparently, they had followed the teachings of the apostle closely as they now have pastors and deacons we're going to read about right from the beginning of the letter. This little church of just a few people. You remember Lydia, a seller of purple, a businesswoman in her own right. Uh, Probably a wealthy lady was the first convert down by the river. He led her and, and then eventually many others to Christ. You remember the jailer we talked about in a different context about a month ago. He led the jailer at this time to Christ as well. Remember the jailer beaten him almost to death, uh, laid his back wide open, and then through watching Paul and watching his testimony with his lies and with his ears as they sung in the, in the dark, he became a believer, gave his life to Christ, ended up tending to the wounds of the one that he had laid open with a whip just hours before. Paul's letters typically contain both encouragement and theological corrections. Almost all of them. 
The churches needed this early on, especially for the readers and the hearers. However, in this letter, there is a lot of encouragement and there's almost no correction. This church was doing it right. They were following what Paul had given them. They were following his example and and in his letters, reading them. And they they were growing in Christ under great persecution. Both the Rome from Rome and the Jewish authorities, the population there that would rather see an ending to their teaching, they despised the Christians because they were still proclaiming Jesus was Messiah. And that highly offended the Jews and it mildly offended the Romans because they had a plethora of gods. Surely Jesus couldn't be the only one. Paul views these Christians very warmly. In fact, he views them as their their father, the father of their faith. He had led them to Christ. I don't think there's anything like that, a bond that strong. When you lead someone to Christ and you get to walk with them for a little while and you get to see them grow in their faith, there's just nothing like it. Upon learning of Paul's imprisonment, the church in Philippi send them uh, send him some financial support in order to take care of their beloved missionary. While you were in prison back then, you got almost nothing. So if you wanted your loved one to survive in prison, you better send him some money. If he, you know, if you got cold, you better send him a cloak. Paul asked for his cloak. He asked for scrolls. He wanted to continue reading and studying. He asked for these things and the, and the people of Philippi take care of him. In fact, they send him a, a, a young slave by the name of Epaphroditus. And the two of them become almost inseparable. Epaphroditus becomes his right hand. Whatever he needs, he's there to, do, to take care of it. In the letter, we discover how to have contentment in the midst of crisis, which is the title of this series. Something we all need to know for our own current circumstances. Let me tell you, if you're not walking with the Lord right now, you're going to get sucked down a rabbit hole. You start watching news instead of reading the Bible. You know, this is the time you want to be in the Word. This is the time you want to be ready to respond to what's going on in the world, not be a part of it so much. Over the next few months, I want to dive into Philippians in order to both encourage and exhort us in practical ways so that we can find peace Joy, and yes, contentment in the days that we live in. We will see persecution through the eyes of Paul and how to maintain the right mindset through every crisis that comes our way. And today I've titled the message, Finding Contentment with Others. You're going to see how Paul loves these people. You're going to see the joy and the contentment he derives from these people just because he loves them so much. How many of you know it's the others in our lives that truly matter to us down here? You know, we collect a lot of stuff. You know, we just moved twice. We we talked about this the other day. We've moved actually uh, in, uh, we've been in three homes in the last maybe uh, year. Yeah. So we've moved a whole lot in the last year. (laughs) You can get a lot of stuff. Let me tell you, they don't, they're not the answer to what's going on in the world. That stuff can burn. But my relationship with God, your relationship with God, and our relationship together as a church is is pinnacle. From the beginning of life, we, we need our parents, right? Relationships matter. 
As Christians, we view God as our Heavenly Father. It's no mistake or it's not by chance that He chose this terminology. He's our Father. He's our good, good Father as we sing at times here. And we as His children, we want to walk with Him just as a good child does. He walked with Adam and Eve, as I said earlier, in the cool of the garden. He was their father. Of course He would. And the three enjoyed their relationship until sin divided them. And the rest of the Bible could be summed up as a story of the greatest restoration in human history. Some people wonder why we call our church Restored Community Church. Yes, we use the truck as an analogy, but it's an analogy to point back to the relationship that God wants to restore that was once there that is no longer because sin has separated us. He wants to restore it, and He has if we will be willing vessels, if we will submit to what He's done for us. He's already paid the payment. We don't need to make a payment. He's already done that. We couldn't make the payment. He did it on the cross with His Son Jesus Christ and His shed blood. We see relationships throughout the Bible. You can hardly read a chapter or even a passage without coming across a relationship of some kind. And we see God using and moving through relationships all the way back to our Savior's birth. Jesus, born as a helpless child to two young parents like you and I perhaps were once. We see the relationship between the disciples as friends and we see them as followers of Jesus. They argue. They have dreams. They have hopes. They have ambitions. And they love one another in spite of their frailties and shortcomings. They're not perfect by a long shot, but they're following Christ. And once again, we, see, we get to see the priority of God-given relationships in our text today. And we see how caring for others is tied to our commitment. I have friends that uh, we're in a, we've been in a long argument for years. They tell me, I don't need to go to church. Yeah, I can worship God from my couch. I can wear my pajamas, eat my Captain Crunch, and be right there with you guys. And my argument is this. I mean, there's plenty of Scripture to, to refute this. But I say, what happens when a trial comes into your life? Who are you going to call? Ghostbusters won't work. You know, you folks are here. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to encourage you to be here every Sunday you can be. You know, we link arms. We're stronger together. And I'm going down a road that's going to take me away from this message, but I just have to tell you, church is so important. Sitting on the couch isn't going to cut it. Some of you need to be right now because of COVID, and I understand that. That's not a long-term solution for church. If you can be in church, you need to be in church. So, God has given us the gift of relationships in our family, with our friends, each other. I like to call it the forever family of God. You guys are my forever family. I like to tell you that you ought to start liking me now. We're going to be together forever. <laughs> so, how can we feed these relationships? How can we honor God and feed and love and, and foster these relationships you see this early on with Paul and the relationship he has with the Philippians. Let's begin by reading Philippians 1.1. Paul and Timothy, I like how they begin letters. We begin letters with, dear so-and-so, the person you're writing. But in this time, they began with, who's writing it? Wouldn't you like to, you know, I always have to skip to the back of the letter to see who, who is talking to me. 
Paul tells you right away, Paul and Timothy. So Timothy's there with him. Bondservants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. There they are. They've already got pastors and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, my family, forever family, grace and peace do not come from anywhere else but the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't come through things. They don't come from your house. They don't come from the car that you got to buy. They don't come from the clothes that you wear. They don't even come from the relationships that are horizontal. Paul's talking about this. Grace and peace come from Jesus Christ alone. Verse 3, and I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Now remember, he's chained to a, a soldier. He's sitting somewhere he doesn't really want to be. And he's penning this letter. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. You know, that's the one thing that can't be taken from you. Your memory. No matter what the circumstances are, you always have a memory. You always know that God is with you. That's why it's so important to memorize Scripture and have things in your mind. You don't always have a Bible with you. Paul's sitting here and he says, I thank God for every remembrance of you. Paul reflected upon the men and women that he had led to Christ ten years earlier. And it brought him great joy as he prayed for them. Verse 4, Always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. Now, I don't know if he was southern, but he says you all. For your fellowship in the Gospel from the first day all the way back ten years looking forward now until now being confident of this very thing that He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until that day of Jesus Christ. And he's talking about the day of the rapture. The day Jesus Christ returns for His saints. For His children. He'll he'll be working on us Paul remembered the deep and abiding fellowship he had experienced with them personally during worship and during the teaching of Scripture, during during times he ministered with the jailer who had laid him halfway to death open with a whip, now worshiping alongside Paul and proclaiming the Gospel himself. Can you imagine that picture? Can you imagine the jailer now giving praise to the Lord, singing next to Paul? That blows my mind. There's nothing like the Gospel that changes a heart like that. That can change it so thoroughly. Paul saw this transformation of not only his life, but now in the lives of those he had led to Christ. And it brought him great joy to see them grow in faith. Like little kids. Watching your little kids grow up. And become more mature and begin to have their their own words. Begin to be able to converse with you It just meant so much to Paul. He had heard how they were doing, no doubt. I'm sure Epaphroditus filled him in. We need to remember to celebrate the wins in our lives. You know, sometimes we just go on to the next problem. What we need to do is pause like Paul did and give thanks for what God has done in our lives. Just take a step back and go, wow, I don't want to go on to the next problem yet. God, You've been so good to me. You've been so so faithful. God, I want to remember these things that You've done for me. And I want to celebrate the wins in my life. Allow joy to take a victory lap once in a while. Amen? Are you like me? 
Sometimes I just move right on, right on past something that I should be celebrating. Listen, if you're frustrated in your walk with God today, don't give up. Don't give in. Keep walking with the Lord because He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Until He comes back for you, He's going to be working in you. You're never going to get all the way to the end until we see heaven. But you're going to experience victories along the way, so celebrate them. God's not finished with you. He's only getting started. Keep your eyes on Him and follow Him closely. Verse 7, Just as it is right for me to think of you, to think of you all because I have you in my heart. Wow, that's a strong statement right there. Inasmuch as both my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the Gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness. How greatly I long to be with you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. He has the affection of Jesus Christ for these people. How does Christ love us? He laid down His life. Do we need to say anything more? That's love. Paul says, I love you like Jesus Christ loves you. I'm laying down my life for the defense of the Gospel. I love you so much. My affection is is unbelievable. And this I pray that your love may abound still more. My friends, if you pray for me, and I hope you do, I pray that I will grow more in the love of Jesus Christ and with all of you. If you pray for me, that's what I would ask you. That my heart would grow in love for Jesus Christ and for you all. Pray I will love my forever family and others like Jesus does. Verse 9, And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. In case you're like me and you didn't catch all these ways that we are to care for each other, let's tear this passage apart verse by verse because it's ripe with the sweet fragrance of the love of Christ and we're to, that we're to have for each other, especially those that we call brothers and sisters in Christ. Relationships bring about the greatest joy, the greatest reason for living that exists on this planet. It begins with a relationship with God. And if you've walked in here and you'd say, you know, I don't really have a relationship with God, we'll talk about that more in a minute. But relationships are are, are vital. We saw it right from the beginning. We see it with Adam and God, and then we see it with Adam and Eve and God in the garden. Relationships are critical. You see, I've never heard anyone on their deathbed cry out for their job or for their Ferrari or for an earning summary. What was the total I made in my life quick before I die? Tell me. No one ever said that. But I have sat on the bedside of a dying saint that cried out for his family, for someone. Relationships are critical. You see, we were wired for relationships. Remember Paul's in prison as this letter is being written by him and, or, or dictated to 
one of his young interns, more likely, led by the Holy Spirit, he's in change, yet he still experiences and displays an affection, an inward contentment and joy with love as he is deep inside his heart. He holds these people. For these fellow Christ followers, some 4,615 miles away from him. Yes, I googled it. Rome to Philippi is 4,000. 615 miles away. And yet, his affection is deep as if he's right there with him. Paul writes four spiritual practices for finding contentment with others. And I want to share those four with you. If you take notes, and I highly encourage it, they'll be on the back of your bulletin right now. Flip it over. Paul writes of four spiritual practices for finding contentment with others. I encourage you to write these down. We need to understand this. You can use them in two ways that come to my mind right away. Number one, this is a great way to pray for your children. I don't care if your children are 5 or 55. It's a great way to pray for them. And number two, it's a great way to uh, practice our love for one another in the body of Christ as well. Here's practice number one. Give thanks for the people in your life. Give thanks. Contentment begins with a thankful heart towards others. Did you catch Paul's example here? Right from the beginning. He says, I thank God upon every remembrance of you. He didn't just go, wow, that was really cool when I was there. Uh, We had a great time. Uh, The lamb chops were wonderful. No, Paul says, I thank God for you. Every time I think of you, I thank God for you. Not every memory in life is a, is a happy memory. Can I get an amen on that? It's not a happy memory or a thought, all of them, especially in these last few months. But if we're going to experience contentment and joy in the midst of our current crisis of humanity, we're going to need to develop a heart of thanksgiving. Amen? You, you want to have a, a joyful heart? It begins with thanksgiving in your heart. I thank my God, Paul wrote. Could have started it anyway. He chose those words. I thank my God for you. And I thank my God for you out there, literally. Every day I pray for our church. I pray for you. And I thank God that He's brought you to our church. I thank God that you're here. It's okay to get frustrated for a moment in life. It's human to get irritable on occasion. I I once got irritable. Um, Oh, Debbie's here. Never mind. I can't sell that one. But if we're to turn our hearts and minds around from panic to peace, from crisis to contentment, we're going to need to develop a practice of giving God thanks for His graces, large and small, that He provides to us on a daily basis. It's so good to just pause at the end of the day and go, wow, God, thank You for taking care of that. Thank You for, you know, this conversation was getting a little edgy. Thank You for getting in the middle of this. Just making it right. Lord, thank You for uh, the ability to make my house payment. Thank You for, thank you for the food I Thank you for caring for me always. We've got to have... It starts with thanks. Everything does. 
Listen, we're going to experience stressful moments in this life. There's no getting around that. The loss of health, the loss of a loved one even, or finances. There's a lot of loss in this life. But developing the practice of thanksgiving for God's mercy, His grace, and His blessing in life is the way through this momentary affliction that Paul called it and into the lasting contentment and joy that God wants to give each one of us. You want to find lasting peace and contentment? Give thanks for, to God for what you already have, for what He's already given you. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit RestoredCommunityChurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.